Why do we take inventory in Al-Anon, and what is a moral inventory anyway? Welcome to episode 246 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Penelope, Taryn, Lucy, and Hillary. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Penelope, Taryn, Lucy, and Hillary, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I am your host today. I'd like to start with a reading. This is from our daily reader, Hope for Today, May 31st. I grew up believing that my behavior was supposed to be perfect and hating myself when it wasn't. No one actually told me I was supposed to be flawless, but that's what I believed. My self-esteem diminished whenever I made a mistake, didn't know something I was expected to know, did something wrong, or when something I unintentionally did or said ended up hurting someone. I believed my mistakes were proof of my failure at the one thing I was supposed to be able to accomplish, perfection. After some time in Al-Anon, I felt I needed to take step four, a searching and fearless moral inventory of myself. I felt fear in approaching this step and shame over each imperfection for which I would have to take responsibility. I believed my inventory was a tally of my goods and bads that would soon prove to God, to myself, and another human being that I was a failure. After thoroughly studying this step in Al-Anon literature and speaking with my sponsor, I decided to change my attitude. Humility, not humiliation, is the long-term goal of the fourth-step inventory. The moral inventory is not intended as a scorecard or report card. There are many things in my life I can't control, but I do have choices about my attitudes and behaviors. The real purpose of the fourth-step inventory is to help me develop a list of the things I can change to make my life more spiritual, sane, satisfying, and serene. In this context, perfection is not an option. What I wanted to do in this episode is to look at the first set of questions about step four, about working step four in our book, Paths to Recovery, and the different ways that I have answered those questions in the three times I've worked this step out of that book, Paths to Recovery, over the years. Let me read the questions, and then we'll look at them one at a time. There are six questions, which are about the inventory process itself, which is one of the reasons I chose that reading. The questions are, am I willing to look honestly at myself, what stands in my way? Have I sought help from my higher power, my sponsor, or other Al-Anon members? What suggestions have I tried to see if they might work? Do I understand the spiritual principle of an inventory? What does searching and fearless mean to me? What does moral inventory mean? So those are the six questions. So now let's look at this. In November of 2002, in response to, am I willing to look honestly at myself what stands in my way, I wrote, I think so, mostly. Some fear of what I might find, or, more likely, fear of having to admit to my faults, I'm just getting started. Yeah. (laughs) I had not yet done that step. I had no experience with what might happen, and as you can see, I'm somewhat apprehensive about it. Nine years later, May of 2011, am I willing to look honestly at myself, what stands in my way? I wrote, mostly, There are parts of myself that are full of fear, and I don't want to look at them. 
I know from experience that it is good to do so, but the fear is strong. So again, I still had fear, but I also had experience that said, no, this is really, this is going to be a good experience once you get into it. This year, March 2018, I wrote, again, for the most part, yes. So that's that's a theme. Mostly, for the most part, continuing with what I wrote in 2018, my blockers include shame and pride, which I know is true. I don't want to admit to faults. And then, well, what I wrote was, what about X? What blocked me there? And I'm referring to a personal relationship I had a few years ago where I did not keep my boundaries well, and I did not see what was driving me in that relationship. In consequence, my actions led to a dissolution of that relationship. And it's something that I have started to find the ability to talk about with Al-Anon friends in meetings, but I'm still not open, not really willing to let it all out there, and, and something's blocking me, and I think it's shame and pride. My answers have changed some in that I know that, that doing the inventory will help now as opposed to the first time in, in 2002. The next question, have I sought help from my higher power, my sponsor, or other Al-Anon members? I wrote, other members, yes, that's what this group is about. And what that means is I was doing these questions, working the steps with a, with a small group, which we called an AWOL group, standing for A Way of Life. So, yeah, I'm, I'm seeking help from other people, other peers in Al-Anon. And that group included a couple of people who had had some time in Al-Anon, had, had gone through the steps before, and so were able to provide the rest of us who had never done it before with some guidance, I think, yeah. For my higher power, only generically, help me to know your will and give me the strength to carry it out. And that's in quotes, so I guess that's a prayer. I had not yet sought any help from my sponsor. I think I was using the group to some extent, a large extent, using the group as a sponsor. In 2011, have I sought help, etc.? I wrote, yes, that is why I'm in this AWOL group and why I'm committed to my sponsor to work the Blueprint for Progress. So at that point, um, I was working more closely with my sponsor. And in, and in addition to doing the steps out of the book Past Recovery with the AWOL group, I was also starting to work our four-step inventory workbook, The Blueprint for Progress, which is, if you haven't seen it, it's an exceedingly thorough uh, inventory. It's 90-some pages, 26 chapters each on a different inventory topic. So I had started it at that point. This year, have I sought help? Yes. Talking openly with other members has been very helpful. Also, listening and meetings have given me insights into myself that I hadn't recognized before. So I think, I think I interpreted the question the first two times. I interpreted the question as, have I sought help about doing this step? And it looks like this year I took it a little more broadly. Have I sought help in general? But maybe I was referring to doing the step. Hmm. I don't know. Already, you know, I wrote it two months ago, less than two months ago, and already I'm like, what did I mean? I'm not sure. That's why it's useful to have it written down because I can go back to it. Third question, what suggestions have I tried to see if they might work? Um, and it looks like in 2012, this question confused me because I wrote none, question mark. And then next to it, and I think this must be notes I took in my AWOL group meeting, I wrote gratitude list, cherish yourself, it will make you strong. That must be something somebody else around the table said. 
um, about suggestions to to help me get into the inventory. Cherish yourself. It will make you strong. I like that. Okay, 2011. The suggestion, working the blueprint with my sponsor. Writing it out. So that's similar. So do the blueprint with my sponsor was suggested by Erica, who who has been a guest on this podcast in the past, and joining the group. So I guess that was also a suggestion. I think, you know, the first year I was active in building the AWOL group and bringing it together. And then in 2011, I think friends were trying to form an AWOL group and wanted somebody with some experience. And so I think they asked me to join. And the same thing happened this year. Well, it was last year when our group started that somebody in meeting said, I'd really like to do this. Would you be willing to work with us? And I said, yes, of course. This year, what suggestions have I tried? I felt like I had answered that question in my answer to the previous question. All right, listening in meetings, talking openly were the the things that, that I wrote in that previous question. So not much insight there. Now we get into a little more meat, I think, here. Do I understand the spiritual principle of an inventory? Let's see what I wrote in 2002. Without taking an inventory, I can't know where I need to work or to ask my higher power to work. And I also don't know the strengths and qualities that I already possess. Without knowing myself, I can't grow. And then I think I have notes here from the meeting because they're shorter and not so well organized. I have hold up a mirror of truth. So that must be something somebody else said in the meeting. That the principle is to hold up a mirror of truth, to accept myself, to be non-judgmental. And in a box, I have to know myself in order to grow that maybe I can get strength from my higher power. May 2011, do I understand the spiritual principle of an inventory? Yes, I cannot fully recover without knowing myself. Short, but uh, right to the point. 2018, do I understand the spiritual principle of an inventory? Yes, it's really hard to make effective change when I don't know where I'm starting from. By listing my strengths and weaknesses, I get a more realistic view of myself and can both use my strengths and work to change or avoid my weak points and defects. The first A is awareness. That's what the inventory gives me. The next question, what do searching and fearless mean to me? Because those are words in the step. Searching means to find everything, not to gloss over or to skip either faults or strengths and qualities. In depth, going into the pain as if for something lost, which I think comes from that particular phrase comes from the reading about step four in the book Paths to Recovery, where it talks about, you know, if you're searching for your lost keys, you keep searching until you find them. And that in an inventory, we keep searching until we found everything that is there to be found this time, at least. That's me right now. Fearless means don't let fear of what I might find to deter me from doing the search with a bullet point I wrote with a higher power. Because, yeah. In 2011, what does searching and fearless mean to me? To look as deeply and forthrightly as I can. The five whys. I'll come back to that one. And don't be afraid to ask the next question. So the five whys, I don't know if you're familiar with that or not. It's a technique for getting down to what some people call root cause. So you say, why Why did I do that? Well, because of A. Well, why A? Because of B. Well, why B? Because of C. And you keep going until... You get down to something where you you don't have to ask why anymore, and that can help to to drill down. So 
Why am I late going to the dentist? Well, because I don't like going to the dentist. Why don't I like going to the dentist? Because they find problems with my teeth. Why don't I like them finding problems with my teeth? Because it illustrates to me that I'm not taking care of myself. And maybe that's where I stop because there, there's a, a root. Like I'm not taking care of myself. I'm not taking care of my teeth. And so because of that, I don't want the dentist to find a problem. So I don't want to go to the dentist. So I'm late going to the dentist. So maybe they'll say, oh, you're too late. We'll have to reschedule your appointment. Okay. That's a, a simple example of, of five whys. I didn't have five there. I had four, but you know, same idea. This year I wrote, digging in to be brief and free from judgment honest and open with myself and receiving feedback openly. And what I see here in myself, this is interesting that I see sort of a freedom from fear, right? That instead of talking about the fear, I wrote about doing an inventory free from judgment, doing an inventory that's about finding things, but not about yet necessarily owning them, not about thinking about their impact on me, thinking about whether they're good or bad necessarily even. Where good and bad, as you know, are relative terms. Honest and open, receiving feedback openly. That, that I see a, a, a nice shift there. Okay, on to the last question. What does, what does moral inventory mean? And I think that a lot of us, including probably myself at the beginning, sort of trip over this term moral inventory because it connects to the word morals, which connects to sort of right and wrong. And so uh, maybe we feel that, probably I felt that a moral inventory is about finding the wrongs, right? What is wrong with me morally? So let's see what I actually wrote. In 2002, it is an inventory of my qualities, both positive and negative, the ways in which I deal with and interact with or react to people and events. My patterns of thought and action my patterns of reaction and inaction. Interesting. What is in my mental, emotional, and spiritual store? And again, in the reading, there's a discussion about, well, if you owned a toy store, you would want to take inventory periodically to see what you have, because then you know if you need to order more of something or you need to stop ordering something because you still have a bunch of them and nobody's buying them. And without doing that inventory, you don't even know what you need to do. You need to take stock. And so talking about my mental, emotional, and spiritual store, what's in it. Where am I with respect to my values? So this is where we get into a little bit of judgment. What If I know what, what my values say to me, the ways that I would like to be acting, how am I doing? Am I acting in accordance with my values or not? And that's something that I can find in my, my moral inventory. And where am I with respect to where I want to be? Also a really good question. And if I don't look, I don't really know. I can see incidents and say, oh man, that is not the way I want to be. That is not the person I want to be. But I don't get an overall picture in particular, and I'm going beyond what I wrote here. uh, In particular, if I don't take that inventory, I don't see, I don't see the ways in which I'm already acting in accordance with my values, where where I'm already acting as I want to be. Because those are like, those are the way it should be. I only see the ways that I'm not. And so doing the inventory, I think what I'm saying here is doing the inventory can also help me to see maybe that I'm doing better than I thought. I don't know. I also wrote, what has been my part in my difficulties? Again, this is something we can find in our inventory. What is my part? 
Okay, 2011. Taking inventory of my non-physical characteristics, my spiritual, emotional assets and defects. How am I with myself, with others, and with God? What are my internal rules for living, and how do I live up to them? And so that, I think, connects back to that thing about values and, and, and wanting how, how I want to be. And then this year, 2018, what does a moral inventory mean? It means looking at and writing down my character traits, whether I think they are desirable or undesirable or neutral. It does not mean deciding what to do with each thing. That comes later. Looking at how my actions align or not with my values. So pretty similar to what I wrote in 2011. I think a little stronger here on the notion that I'm just taking inventory. I'm just finding things and I'm not deciding what to do about them. And that that actually came out of working. I know, I remember <laughs> distinctly, I was working step four in our blueprint for progress. And there was a question about things done that I did as a child. And I started writing down some things and I thought, oh, geez, I'm probably going to have to make amends to my parents about this. And so I talked to my sponsor and my sponsor said, right now you're just writing it down. Right now you're just taking the inventory. When we get to step eight and nine, then we'll, we'll think about, you can think about whether and what kind of amends you need to make for it. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes this a lot easier. So that was important to me. So those are those six questions that are sort of introduction to inventory in the book Paths to Recovery. How would you answer those questions? Have you answered those questions? I, I see a slight evolution in my thinking, in some cases more dramatic than others, over the 16 years between the first time I did it and the second time. Uh, and I also see some consistency, which is, is kind of cool. I wanted to close with this again. This is from Hope for Today, Daily Reader, May 31st. Thought for the day. Taking a fourth step inventory clarifies the things over which I do have power. And a quote, which comes from Courage to Change, it may demand courage and self-discipline, but by freely acknowledging who we have been, we can make positive changes about who we are becoming. I like that those really emphasize the idea that by taking an inventory, it gives me a path forward. Because that, to me, is, is a fundamental purpose of the inventory. I picked some music here. The first song that I'm featuring this this episode is by Dessa. It's called The Crow. It's been it's been out for a while. A few lyrics here. This is this is sort of connects to inventory for me because I see that it's a little bit about self-discovery, about self-understanding. The word inventory, the concept doesn't appear directly in the song. If you haven't heard anything by Dessa, you should. She's a a really interesting rapper from Minneapolis not in the uh, in the sort of standard rap groove. So check it out. I think you'll like it. That old crow came back today, sitting in my window like a prophet, out on the fire escape to say, anger is just love, left out, gone to vinegar. You wake up a stranger to yourself, then you learn to live with her. Those last two lines in particular to me speak about inventory. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery. And man, I'll tell you, this has been a week. Wow. Wednesday, I went to a meeting that I don't usually go to. Used to be a regular at that meeting, and then things changed. My schedule changed. But I went because a friend was doing a 30-minute 
lead sharing her experience, strength, and hope about step one. This friend has been in the program a little over a year and is is finding herself back at step one. She had a really powerful share. It inspired me to reflect on how step one reappears, how my powerlessness reappears in my life. I think I've got it nailed down and then it pops up in another aspect. I briefly reflected on a number of times in my life where I've found myself powerless over somebody else's actions, over some incident, and how I was have been become more and more able to use the tools of this program, reaching out to help from a higher power, discovering what my part, the inventory, what my part is, and then being able to move forward from there using the tools in steps six, seven, eight, and nine, which are about asking God to remove our defects and making amends. So it was a great meeting. I was really glad I was able to be there. Oh man. And then Saturday, Saturday, I participated in event an event that I would not be part of without recovery because it was recovery that brought me to that community. It was recovery that brought me to an understanding of what I believe one of my missions is in life, which is to work with young people, in particular teenagers in my faith tradition. On Saturday, the ninth graders in our congregation were participating in a coming-of-age ceremony and ritual that that we make available to them. They had spent some hours in silent contemplation about their life so far, about where they saw their life maybe going. We're talking 15-year-olds here, so many of them don't really have a path planned out for their life, but we ask them to think about it. We ask them to think about it in silence and to write down, if they feel like writing, what what thoughts come to them? And then I was asked to be, I volunteered to be a member of what we call Council of Elders, which in this case, I sat with three other adults and one young person at a time came to us and told us of what they had found, of what maybe their hopes and fears were for themselves. They also were able to ask us questions, which I think most of them didn't. It was a very moving experience. Some of these, a couple of these, these young people had had some really significant insights, I think, into themselves. It was, and then in the evening, there was a ceremony welcoming these 17 young people into the community of adults in, in the church. So that was emotional. That was tiring. It, it went into the evening. The, the ceremony in the evening starts at dark around a campfire. It's really good. And on Sunday, I probably have talked about this a little before, our church is in the process of finding a new senior minister, our previous minister having retired a couple of years ago. And we have a process that takes a couple of years to play out of finding a new minister, which gives those of us in the congregation also time to make transition to be ready for things to be different. We had formulated a search committee. They had gone out and put our best face out and then looked at, you know, the the resumes, the the packets that each of the ministers who aspired to be our next minister had put together. They evaluated them, talked to them, invited some to to come out and visit, not to visit us because we don't at this at this point we don't know who they are. 
the search committee picks one candidate, which really helps reduce the possibility of, of a schism in choice. They pick one candidate. That candidate comes for over a week. They give a sermon two Sundays in a row. They meet with different groups within the congregation throughout the week. And then yesterday we voted. We had had a congregational meeting. Those of us who were active members of the congregation were able to vote. And this is not a simple majority vote. Our, our bylaws stipulate that we need at least 85% yes vote in order to call a new minister. The recommendation of the national organization is that it be at least 90%. So we voted. The votes were taken away and counted. We all sang. And then the board of trustees came back with the votes and the announcement was made that we had voted unanimously to call our new minister. I, I just, I really can't describe the, the joy that I felt in that moment, that moment of all of us, all of us in that room, almost 300, actually over 300 people. There were almost 300 votes, but there were people in the room who, you know, were children or who were not members, but still wanted to participate, couldn't vote, but they were there. All of us, all of us going in this, in being in that same place, in that same emotional and spiritual place at that moment, the energy and the joy in the room was amazing. It really was. Ugh. And then I came home and I took a nap <laughs> because I was just exhausted, partly from going to bed late, partly from actually not sleeping well the night before. I had leg cramps, which probably came from not taking care of myself after running yesterday or on Saturday. But it was it was a, an amazing weekend. It really was. So how might you... How might you answer those questions about inventory? We welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation. Please leave us a voicemail or an email with your feedback or your questions. You can call and leave a voicemail at 734-707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website, or if you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. All of the ways in which you can contribute to the show are listed, are described in one place, which is our contact page. You can find it in the menu at the top of each page, or you can go to therecovery.show slash contact. Second musical selection for today on the topic of inventory is by Aretha Franklin. The title is Look Into Your Heart. If you look into your heart with a positive mind, take self-inventory of your woman and your glory. Leave the bad things behind. Everybody's got a story about love and the good things, but for the spices of your life, you got to pay the price. If you know what I mean, telling everybody out loud how a girl becomes some proud, when I thought there was nothing left, I do believe I found myself. I want to thank those of you who are contributing. Your voice is right here. Penelope left us a message. Thank you, Spencer and co-hosts, for this wonderful podcast. It's been very helpful to me, and I'm always so glad to recommend it to our new members when they first come to the groups I belong to. I think it's especially helpful to our men to hear another male voice, since they are usually outnumbered by females. I appreciate the time that goes into preparing the podcast and all the various formats used. I hope you never retire. Well, thanks, Penelope. 
And thank you for recommending it to your friends. I had this experience the other day. Somebody in a meeting talked about not being able to get to meetings very well because of a small child. And so after the meeting, inspired by those of you who have written to me, I went up and I said, hey, you know, if you're having trouble to get getting to meetings, here's here's a, a podcast that I do. And she said, oh, I already listened to it. Thank you. It's so wonderful to meet you in person. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you never know. You never know. But thank you for passing the word on, because I really think that's one of the ways in which people, one of the most significant ways in which people find this this tool for recovery. At least I hope it's a tool for your recovery. Jennifer asks, I can't find you as a charity support on Amazon Smile. When I searched, there are dozens of ones with the word recovery in them, but none exactly yours. And I've had this question before. I'm not in Amazon Smile. My understanding is you have to be like a registered charity to be in Amazon Smile. And the podcast is not. The podcast is a personal endeavor of mine. Um, In order to register as a charity, I need to have things like a bylaws and a board of trustees and all that stuff that does not directly contribute to what I do here. So I appreciate the effort. The way you can contribute is by going to the recovery.show. If you're on a computer in the left hand, uh, sorry, in the right hand column next to the text, there's a, a button that's under the title donate by shopping that will take you to Amazon. And then anything you buy there after clicking on that button will, uh, will help us. And it has been suggested that I put a donate link in the menu at the top of the page. And I haven't done that, but it's probably a good idea. I should do that. Anyway, thanks for thinking of us, Jennifer. If you want to click on the button and shop, we will get that small commission. Jennifer continues, I would like a show for parents of adult alcoholics. My 45-year son's disease has been progressing for 20 years. His brain is fried. Al-Anon has enabled me to stay sane after telling him I can no longer be his mommy protector helper, a.k.a. lifelong enabler extraordinaire. I don't know where he is or if he is alive. I'd be happy to participate if you'd do a show for aging parents of middle-agers. I look forward to driving now that I have you along for the ride. I found you last year and thank God for you. And and thank you so much, Jennifer. I will point you to, oh man, what episode is it? Um, there's a Parents Roundtable episode, which is actually listed in the selected episodes on the right side of the page if you're on a computer. It is episode number 22. So if you go to therecovery.show slash 22, there's at least one person. There were four people, I think, if I remember correctly, participating in that roundtable. And at least one of them has an adult child, I think, in in their 40s at the time of recording that uh, maybe you find, find some connection there. Thanks, Jennifer. Emily wrote, Hi, I love your show. It has helped me so much. In my home group meeting I have chaired, we use the following statement before we go to shares. In sharing during meetings, we do not interrupt one another, respond to other shares, or engage in discussion. This is called crosstalk. While we encourage expressions of identification and appreciation, we do not evaluate what others have said or address other members directly during shares. Rather, we keep the focus on ourselves by speaking from the I perspective. This is how we keep meetings safe in Al-Anon. Should crosstalk occur, it is recommended that the chair reread this statement. Hope this is helpful to you and the group in service, Emily. Thanks, Emily. This is partly in response to a question I had a few months ago because one of my groups was working to formulate our statement about crosstalk. And and we have done so. Uh, but all of this input has been helpful. And, I, and this is a wonderful short statement. I really like it. Thanks, Emily. Kim posted a comment 
on the recent episode 244, The Open Talk by Carl H. She writes, Thank you so much for what you do. I've recently discovered your podcast and love to listen to it. I was wondering if there is a written transcript anywhere about the dog and cat analogy. I'd love to read it at my Al-Anon meeting. Peace to you. And I, I remember Carl saying something about dogs and cats and for the life of me, I actually don't remember it in detail. I don't have a transcript. Um, I said, hey, if you if you want to go back and listen and write it down, I would love to be able to share it with other people. So that's what I have there. Kathy wrote a very short comment. Fantastic show. So glad that I found this podcast. And I'm glad you found it too, Kathy. Thanks for writing. Kevin shares, I found your podcast a few days ago and have listened to a bunch of episodes. I'm an ACA and found all of them helpful. Today's episode is writing about the episode I did with Emily on Adult Children of Alcoholics, ACA. Today's episode was exactly what I needed right now. I'm in the middle of a divorce. I have two daughters, three and five years old. From day one in my marriage to their mom, every penny of my income went into our joint account. My wife makes more money than I do and would spend from this account as long as there was money. It took me seven years to recognize how I had set myself up for resentment. Since we separated, I opened an account of my own and put most of my income there, but still about 30% into her account. Today I got an email from her saying she's planning a week's vacation in London, and I got so mad. Then I realized I was feeling resentment and jealousy. She's planning a vacation while I'm struggling to pay rent and buy groceries. How dare she? Eventually realized I needed to stand up for myself and stop handing over money just to avoid her anger and guilt trips. Being an ACA, I have a really hard time asserting myself or even thinking about it. I freeze and spiral down into an abyss of guilt and shame. It's usually easier for me to just let people have what they want rather than take care of me. I didn't do that. I changed my direct deposit to put a reasonable amount of my income into my own account. Now I'll have enough to pay for things I need and maybe pay off some debts. There's more work to do on this, as I do want and need to provide for my kids, but this is a critical first step. I know I'll feel better when I've done that part, but I'm giving myself time to figure out how to state the facts of my actions in a healthy way. Hopefully, I will also feel some strength and serenity, so that when I do tell her, her reaction won't send me into a spiral down. I protected my wife from whatever consequences may come from her approach to spending. At the same time, I neglected myself and reinforced my belief that there's never enough of anything and that I don't matter. By setting this boundary, I told myself that I do matter, and now there will be enough money for me to live, pay debts, and even save a little. Thanks again for your podcast, Kevin. I believe he's referring to the consequences episode that, that Eric and I did. John writes, Hi, I'm an Al-Anon of three years. I'm also a mod in an ACA Facebook group. Often in the group, this topic of sponsorship comes up, and I've been researching sponsorship and Al-Anon versus sponsorship in ACA. Specifically, can an Al-Anon sponsor an ACA because there seems to be a lack of sponsors in ACA? My research led me to look up the difference between Al-Anon and ACA, and Google took me to podcast number 203. I listened to the podcast intently, but was most fascinated by the different definitions of crosstalk. I then posted in the Facebook group a question on crosstalk. Is it simply interrupting when another person is speaking, or is it commenting another on another's share also crosstalk? About a day after I posted this, one of the other admins private messaged me and asked about the podcast that I had mentioned in the post. It's important to note that though I consider the admins in the group very good friends, I've only spoken on the phone to one of the other admins. Of course, I told her that it was Recovery Podcast 203, to which she replied, that was me. Thanks for all you do, John. And thank you, John. Thank you, Emily, for co-hosting number 203. And I don't really have an answer on the on the sponsorship question. What I know from my own experience is that 
you know, ACA is a different program. It has different principles. I didn't know about many of them until I did the podcast episode with Emily. So I think I would find it difficult to effectively sponsor somebody in the ACA program um, as an al I would find it difficult to do that. It's my personal, my personal response. I don't know. I'd be interested to hear what, what other people in the Facebook group thought. Thanks, John. Diane writes, wow, that is a wealth of information. Uh, she's referring to the consequences episode that Eric and I did. That is a wealth of information. I am re-listening to it. Eric read from ODAT starts out something like, there are many ways to approach a problem. Ends with, missed today's opportunity, left drained, overwhelmed, distraught. Could you please send me a copy of what he read? Thank you for giving encouragement, strength, and hope to so many of us. Blessings, Diane. And I forwarded that email to Eric, and he responded with that the reading came from the slogans chapter in the book, How Al-Anon Works. Specifically, it came from the section about the slogan, One Day at a Time. Got a review in iTunes titled, Insightful and Encouraging Writing helps me to focus on me rather than my qualifier. Awesome podcast. So appreciate Spencer's dedication to serving and all the guests that contribute as well. And thank you for that review. iTunes reviews do help to make it easier for those in need who are seeking recovery to to find and to decide to listen to the recovery podcast. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to the recovery show, but we do have expenses, which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Penelope, Taryn, Lucy, and Hillary did. And thank you again, Penelope, Taryn, Lucy, and Hillary for your contributions. I already talked about the Amazon links, so we also have a list of recovery-related books and some of those linked to Amazon. And we do get a little commission from that, and I really appreciate it helps to keep us going. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, just direct them to the recovery.show or listening to us. We are here for you. And for the third song, I had picked a different song for this. And then this morning I heard this song by Shannon and the clams. I think I've got that right called onion. And it's all about how therapy is like peeling an onion about finding deeper and deeper aspects of ourselves. And for me, working step four has been very much like that, that each time I've worked it, I have found more and more about myself. I have uncovered new things as I peel off the layers of that onion. Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace growing you one day at a time.